you have fully vacant units on your property that you have mothballed until next semester? If you do, I bet you've thought to yourself, we should list those on Airbnb for game day weekends or for parents visiting their kids. Maybe you're in a college town like Austin or Raleigh or Tallahassee, and your city has large festivals and not enough hotel rooms. You know you could lease those units on a nightly or a weekly basis. Providing short-term rentals on platforms like Airbnb can provide a great source of ancillary income. But it takes some, uh, all right, excuse me, it takes a lot of organization. There's the additional setup of providing linens and coffee makers and all the little things that a short-term tenant will expect. Then there's the regulatory and tax issues that could require additional work. More importantly, there's the time and labor to market on all the multiple platforms, handle the reservations and cancellations, the cleaning, and then there's the bookkeeping. All of this turns into a big distraction from the main job at hand, which is operating and leasing your property. That's where Vector Travel comes in. These guys know the short-term rental industry and they know how to relieve all of those burdens from the property manager. And best of all, they've become experts in how to do that with student properties. They understand the complexity of mixing travelers with college students. They know it so well, they can quickly identify if a student property is not going to be a good fit for their program. So if you have vacant units, reach out to Vector Travel and have them do a free, no obligation assessment to determine if enrolling your vacant units in their program will be beneficial. Go to vectorstays.com forward slash SHI. Fill out a quick form to receive more information. You will also get the first month service fee waived by going to that specific landing page. Again, that's vectorstays.com forward slash SHI. Welcome to the Student Housing Insight Podcast, where we are putting you in touch with the people who bring student housing to life. I'm your host, Wesley Dees. Well, guys, thanks so much for for joining in on this episode. Uh, We're going to be covering uh, something today from from our memo web series that we covered back in in February. If you're not joining in on our on our memo web series, make sure that that you're getting registered for that. You got your team registered for that. It's on Wednesdays at noon and we're going to be running that through June. We're going to take a break in July and August because Hey, who in student housing has time to listen to a podcast during um, or or even join webinars during (laughs) July and August? We're all busy with turns. So we'll take a break uh, for for that particular point in time. And then we'll come back in September, September through October. So make sure that you're registered. Make sure your team's registered. It's 10 bucks. And there's just a plethora of, of information that you're going to be able to get from from attending that. If you can't attend it exactly live on Wednesdays, they're all recorded. And so they're right there for you to instantly go back and see whenever it's convenient for you. But we're, we're doing that on a platform that allows for live chat and, and networking. So it's not just about being able to to watch the content. It's also about networking with other folks in our industry. So I know that you'll get a huge benefit out of, out of doing that. It is 10 bucks covers the entire, uh, the entire year for 2021. And then, uh, 
because you're listening and you, if you'll go and register and use code MEMO20 in your promo code, when you go to check out, it'll actually give you 20% off. So make sure that you're, make sure that you're doing that. I can't stress enough how, how important this weekly meetup is, is what we're really phrasing it as. I don't like calling it a webinar series because I don't know. It's just kind of goofy, but, but it, but it is, it really feels like an industry meetup that's happening every Wednesday at noon. So make sure that you go and register and join us for that. But I wanted to uh, talk a little bit about the outlook for 2021 and what's happening on campus and what ha- what's happening in those circles. What are those folks talking about? Um, because when it comes to higher education, you know, that's, that's who we're serving. And even with on-site housing officers, there's a lot that we can gain from not only how they're doing, jo- doing their job, but also, you know, what's, what's on their mind? What's, what are they looking at? Um, what kind of challenges are they going to have ahead of them going into, going into, to not only the spring, but certainly going into next fall when things even return a little bit more to normal than what they are today. So I, in today's session, I'm going to be replaying uh, something that came from Memo in our second week of Memo, where I interviewed Peter Galloway, who is the new board president for Akuho um, had some questions for him. He's just taken over that position. I wanted to make sure we've done several interviews with with the board presidents uh, for Akuho in the past. And, you know, it's important, you know, who um, who Peter is and also you know, what's happening with with Akuhoa. For those that aren't aware of Akuhoa is the Association for College and University Housing Officers. Um, and that I stands for international because it is an inter- international group that spans the globe. Uh, but they are based here in the U.S., uh, actually in Columbus, Ohio. So anyway, we uh, let's go ahead and, and go over to that interview and we'll catch you on the other side. Well, welcome everybody to this second installment of the Student Housing Insight Memo Web Series. I'm super excited about this one because each month this spring, as we go through this series, on the second week of the month, we're going to be talking uh, and focusing in on the higher education industry because that's really who the off-campus student housing industry is supporting. And I think it's really important that we spend some time really focusing in on you know, what is impacting the higher education industry? Because in a lot of ways, that's in every way, actually, (laughs) that ultimately impacts a lot of the things that we do um, as off-campus housing providers and certainly um, certainly with our students that we serve as well. So I'm super excited about the panelists that we've got today. And we're starting out with someone very special. He is the incoming board member of Akuho A, which is the Association of College and University Housing Officers International, which is based in Columbus, Ohio. And uh, he is their incoming president for this new calendar year of 2021. And I wanted to spend some time and, and talk with them. So let me welcome Peter Galloway. He is the Assistant Dean of Students at Westchester University in Pennsylvania. Peter, welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much. Appreciate the opportunity to be here with you. 
Well, thanks so much. I, I was, you know, I've worked with Akuhoa a lot over over the past um, three years, it, really longer than that, uh, you know, throughout my career. But um, when I started Student Housing Insight and started talking about some of the things that we want to try to accomplish and be able to provide to the off-campus industry, um, uh, Mary De Niro, who's who's the CEO at Akuhoa, I reached out to her and she's just She's been a fantastic person to to talk to and, and really get some insights. But the organization overall has just been a huge resource over my career. And um, if any of you guys are listening in the off-campus world, you've never heard of Akuho-A, um, make sure that you – we're going to give you, obviously, some information in our notes and, and, and throughout this discussion um, so that you can go and, and look up more on them. But I really suggest that – all the off-campus organizations, as far as uh, the op- the national operators, um, certainly look at becoming a member of Akuho A because I think it's very beneficial, not just to your you know organization, but also to all of your employees and the and the resources that they provide. Um, it's it's been great throughout my career, and would suggest that you do the same. Um, but uh, Peter, uh, really. Uh, to give probably a better explanation of, of Akuho and what they do, um, tell us about the association's mission and, and how they serve their members. So thank you. Um, so Akuho I um, is the leading organization for campus housing residence life um, professionals. Um, we have more than 17,000 um, individuals um, as well as about a thousand institutions um, that are members. Uh, and we uh, represent about 1.2 million um, on campus residents from around the globe, not, not just from here in the US. Um, and our mission is really to enhance the on-campus experience for the students that uh, live in uh, campus-based housing. Uh, we do that through research. We do that through um, you know, sh- certainly sharing information with our members you know, regarding uh, how living on campus can um, support student retention, growth of individuals, um, and there's lots of studies out there about being involved on campus, you know, certainly uh, improves students' academic performance and, and living on campus is a, is a large part of that. Um, and really just providing support to our members as they go about their day-to-day jobs. And so, you know, ultimately all of our focus is to, to help our resident students be successful. Um, as I said, you know, we, we try to uh, develop a number of research projects that our uh, members can use the data from, uh, leadership tools, um, and certainly different trainings that we do um, historically, largely in person, um, which changed a fair amount this past year. And I'm, we'll probably talk about that in a little bit. But, um, and, you know, the, again, you know, membership is based on an institutional level. And once an institution is a member, uh, every professional working on that campus has access to all the resources that we can provide, um, you know, whether that be um, web-based or in-person or, um, you know, other kinds of modes of delivery. So, so uh, you know, obviously introduced you as the, as the um, incoming president of the executive board for Kuho Ah, but I'd really like to, if you can just share a little bit about your career journey and how Akuho Ah has, has played a significant part along that way. Sure. So, um, like a lot of my colleagues, um, I initially got involved at the regional level. There's a number of regions across the U.S. that do a lot of the same things that Akuho Ah does, you know, trying to support um, campus resident populations. Um, and as I worked through the leadership 
positions in that organization. That's what connected me to KUI and started to attend the annual conference and exposition that we have, uh, usually in uh, June or July. And just being exposed to the organization showed me how much broader reach that an international organization could have versus a, uh, a regional organization. And I uh, was very fortunate to be elected to the executive board a couple of times. Um, once as a what we call the Eastern District Rep, we had a, a regional representation model at that point. But then um, subsequently was the um, business practices and enhancements director, um, focusing on areas within the profession around um, housing assignments, marketing, IT, conference services, um, you know, those kinds of business-related things that weren't operations-related specifically. Um, then I was the finance and corporate records officer for three years, which is a KUA-wise version of a secretary and treasurer. Um, gotcha. And then the presidential cycle is a vice president, president-elect president cycle. So uh, this is my third and final year of the presidential cycle uh, being on the executive board. Um, you know, it's just being on the board has just been such a huge and wonderful professional experience and personal experience for me, uh, giving me so many opportunities to meet um, professionals from around the globe, as well as um, corporate partners and, and other um, institutions and entities that impact the, the campus housing profession. And um, just, you know, so many opportunities to share ideas and, and, you know, work through issues. Again, you know, certainly something we had to a fair amount of practice on this past year, um, but you know, just all with the same goal of of working towards making a, a, the campus experience the best possible for the students that live with us. So, uh, you know, I, I tell my off-campus colleagues, and, and also share this with my on-campus colleagues that uh, you know the the reason Akuhoa was kind of so instrumental in in my career, why I speak up so much about um, and encourage off-campus housing providers to, to be a part of it, especially those that are on the, you know, at the site level, you know, dealing with the students day in and day out, um, you know, to be truly successful at that site level manager position, you've got to have a really good grasp on, on student affairs. Um, I, you know, I don't know that you necessarily need a, a degree in student affairs or higher education in order to in order to fill that role. But those that have had really great success at that level and especially be able to, to move up um, into multiple career avenues within the off campus industry, really take the time to understand student services and student affairs and, and Akuhawa has just been great, you know, for, for me from uh, as a resource for understanding those things. And I'll just put it out there. Managers who educate themselves in this field um, of student affairs are, are just, uh, you know, are going to be, are going to notice the difference, not just in, in the respect that they have from, from their colleagues, both on campus and off campus, but just in how they're able to, to approach uh, their job, their, you know, their customers to us in a lot of ways, the students are. So it, it just, it gives you a, a completely different perspective and field of view when you have a really strong grasp on, on student affairs. You know, given all of that, let's, let's talk about this, this past year for a second. Um, I, I definitely want to focus on 2021. <laughs> I'm tired of talking <laughs> about 2020, but yeah. I, I, I can't, I can't, you know, go forward um, and, and talk much about it without talking a little bit about, about this past year. 
COVID-19, you know, turned higher education upside down and inside out. <laughs> I mean, let's just be honest. Um, back in March, both on-campus and off-campus professionals were, were just thrust into a scenario that none of us really thought we would ever see. Um, we may have trained for, you know, disease outbreaks in a, in a building or, or on campus, but none of us really ever imagined a, a pandemic that would cause basically every university in the country to, to, you know, I hate to say shut down because there was certainly a lot of things going on from a research standpoint and universities were still open, but to basically move everything possible to remote study, we've never seen that. Um, Off-campus managers who, you know, had really built great relationships uh, over the years with, with their housing and university administration, they were really able to be great resources, I would really say, for each other in supporting the students and, and understanding the students' needs. I've said it on the podcast before, and, and it deserves to be said again, Akuho Oz staff jumped into full support mode. Um, and during the outbreak when, when all this mess started. And I just can't express enough how valuable the virtual roundtables and all the guidelines that Akuho I was, was putting out for everybody. Um, and, and, you know, just want to thank, um, uh, you know, you for that to, to some degree, because obviously um, you, you're in one of those leadership positions, but just want to put that thinks out there to for you to share with the rest of the staff at Akuho I. You know, I'm just I'm wondering how has 2020 impacted what Akuho I is focusing on in 2021? Yeah, so um, it, I definitely appreciate your your comments about um, what we did in 2020. I you know with it 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 was a a conversation, although a brief conversation that we had about how widely you know we should distribute you know the information and the um, you know the opportunities for collaboration and things like that, and and again it was a brief conversation. We we very quickly decided that everybody had to have access to that information, even campus professionals that may not have been members of of a QOI, but you know anybody who wanted to to access our website or be part of those podcasts and webinars and things like that that you were talking about. We you know it was definitely something that we all needed to support each other, and you know whatever anybody could learn from what we were providing, we knew was going to go to good use. So. Um, in terms of 2021, I mean, you know, there's both, you know, in terms of content focus, and then there's just the logistics, um, you know, how, how we're going to provide information going forward, um, you know, that the reality is, is that at least for the first half of the year, um, you know, we're going to be largely in a remote environment. We, you know, we're not anticipating having any in-person events, certainly in the foreseeable future. Um, and, you know, even for our major event, you know, which would be the annual conference and exposition, uh, which is slated for the middle of June, um, you know, whether that happens in person or virtually, you know, one of the things that we've changed for that is that typically we would have had all the program sessions chosen by now and, um, you know, have a pretty solid, you know, with, with a few spaces here and there that we could do a special interest topic. We're very specifically delaying that um, process so that we can analyze, you know, close to the time of the event as to what the most critical issues that, that folks are facing. And so we can, you know, build some content around those, find, find some content experts that can speak to that uh, and be a lot more timely in terms of the, the information that we share, you know, 
unfortunately, some of it is, is bound to still be around COVID as we make the transition back to, you know, hopefully largely, um, you know, reoccupying our campuses with, with on-campus students and, um, and at least some face-to-face class, if not, you know, predominantly face-to-face class. But, um, you know, some of it not COVID related, but, you know, the other thing, of course, that happened this year was the, you know, all the racial injustice um, issues that came up and the protests around those. And, and there's uh, a fair amount of work that we're going to do around that um, this coming year as well. And, you know, again, we'll we'll monitor the conditions and, um, you know, try to be strategic in the programming and education and the events that we offer, um, you know, with the, with the change of administration, you know, it'd be nice to think that the um, environment and tenor in the in the country will will change very quickly along with that, but that's probably not terribly realistic. So, yeah. um, you know, lots of continue to monitor that as well. And um, you know, last year we did do some programming around freedom of speech and and you know how to um, you know work with our campus residents around some of those topics. That very well may be something we'll have to continue this coming year as well. Yeah, yeah, we we talked a lot back in. In our webinar series last last fall, or excuse me, last spring, um, uh, preparing for fall 2020, and that's something that you know the last session that we did um, in in June, you know, I, I figured the entire thing was going to be about COVID, and then our last session was actually on the diversity and and inequity issues that were plaguing us, and and that we were. Um, you know, as a country really having to come to terms with. And, um, you know, as I think is as eye-opening and humbling as a lot of that was, um, it, it put a lot of, um, uh, yeah, I I was a history major, right? So, (laughs) um, I always try to, to, to draw on, on, uh, you know, historical events and, and a lot of things were very similar to, to, you know, 1968, 1969. Um, and, and remembering how um, that impacted college campuses so much um, that, you know, I really kind of put it out there to everybody that, hey, don't be shocked when this happens on your campus or at your property because, you know, the, the College students are, are not going to sit by and not be heard, and we've we've certainly learned that um, at least here in the U.S. Um, but I think that's that's really relevant around the world. You mentioned the new administration, and I'd like to to talk a little bit about that. You know, there's there's a lot on President Biden's lap the first hundred days. We know that there's going to be a lot of sweeping changes, a lot of um, reversal of, of executive orders from the previous administration um, that he's going to be focused on. What kind of orders and legislation may pass this year that that could impact enrollment that that you and your colleagues in higher education, as well as with Akuho, are are thinking about and talking about? Um, probably the most immediate would be around student loan forgiveness of some manner i i'm pretty sure i heard that there's at least going to be a a continued um 
you know, delay and, and people needing to start paying federal loans back. So, you know, that'll right. be a little bit of a short-term impact. Um, you know, whether there'll be a comprehensive reduction in student loan debt or a total elimination of student loan debt, I don't necessarily see that happening in 100 days. But, um, you know, that, that certainly could have some significant impact. Um, you know, some conversations, at least during the campaign, I don't know that um, President Biden has specifically spoken to this yet about, you know, potentially, um, you know, very low cost or free higher education and how that may impact, um, you know, where students ultimately attend. Um, and, you know, certainly, you know, increasing access, but then, you know, redirecting people to, to different institutions um, certainly could be, could be pretty important. Um, you know, there's a lot of um, things came out of the Department of Education over the past four years that um, were not necessarily friendly to, uh, I'll say higher education, I, people may argue, they weren't friendly to education period, which is a little odd coming out of the Department of Education. But um, so as some of those um, initiatives and, and um, you know, rulings and whatever, um, you know, if they start to get reversed, I haven't heard anything specific about any one particular initiative. Um, you know, the some of the rulings around Title IX would be a, a, a large impact on, on higher education. I haven't heard what the plans are for that specifically, but. Um, so, um, yeah, there, there's a fair number of things that, that could impact us. I know we were, um, uh, you know, I know, I know there's already been, you know, uh, the, I think day one and, you know, we are actually recording this literally an hour after <laughs> Biden's inauguration. But, um, you know, one of the things he's, he's planning on doing right away is, um, uh, retracting the, the travel ban, um, from primarily Muslim countries. And, you know, I, I feel like the, you know, the one thing I observed quite a bit, I mean, let, let's, you know, talk about international students for a second. So I, you know, I've got to think that the, uh, the retraction of this, of this ban on, on these countries is certainly, uh, you know, a step in the right direction to making students feel more welcomed. Um, but I want to just kind of get your insight and what you're hearing. Do you think that's going to have an impact on, on international students this year? There's a 46%, or was a 46% decrease in first-time international students coming to the U.S. Obviously, that is, that is primarily impacted by COVID and and travel bans related to that and just the state of the economy. Um, but prior to that, we were seeing a real decline and a lot of universities were really feeling it. Um, just want to get your, your insight, your opinion. Um, do you think uh, just that one act alone of, of uh, you know, repealing that travel ban is going to have an impact at all this year? Good question, only because of the timing. Um, you know, higher ed, of course, you know, works in cycles and, you know, we're well in the middle of our, or, you know, admissions offices are well in the middle of their acceptance cycles for the fall of 2021. So if, um, you know, potential international students were waiting for everything to fall into place, they may ultimately be too late to get accepted for next year. So it might, you know, there might be some impact the following year. Um, but, you know, knowing that, you know, 
at least as of early November, that um, Biden had become elected president, maybe they were thinking, okay, chances are things are going to head in the right direction. And, you know, they started the process early enough that they they could. So I would expect there'd be some increase. It may not be a significant increase this first year just because of the the timing factors. And again, not to mention COVID, you know, it's they may be hesitant to commit to coming here in the fall if, you know, since, you know, we seem to be the worst country in the world and um, managing the the virus, they may not feel safe coming here because of that, much less, you know, not even if the, the administration is totally open to um, having non-U.S. people come into the country. So, so I, I want to transition a little bit to, um, well, let, before we get off of, before we get off of, of policy and, and the new administration, um, just want to get your opinion. We're, you know, one of the things that was highlighted by the uh, Biden administration was uh, this idea of, of free college for all um, at, at our public universities. I think from what I've read, he really wants to start with the HBCUs and in two years of community college. Um, just as, as you are kind of digesting or have been digesting, um, you know, what this administration is, is looking at doing, how how might that end up um, uh, playing out, you know, within the next couple of years? And and is this something that the you know that the industry is excited about? Um, I don't know that we've really discussed it a lot or digested it yet. Um, you know, certainly in our current circumstances, if they were able to turn this around pretty quickly, you know, the major impact might be on the, you know, the, the people that are still unemployed because of the COVID situation and the economic downturn, you know, maybe they are, they're the ones that will go and, and finish a degree or get a second degree or, or do something to kind of retool their uh, employment opportunities. So it might not ultimately take a whole lot of people out of our pipeline um, in terms of, um, or add people to our pipeline necessarily. So um, again, that may be one of those things that there would need to be a couple of years of before the impact is felt again, largely just because of some of the enrollment cycles and things like that. But, um, you know, the, certainly there are some potential from a housing standpoint, there's certainly some potential occupancy issues. Um, if it's geared towards you know, public higher education, I, you know, a lot of public schools I think are doing okay enrollment wise and, and, and occupancy wise. And so if there's this big flood of potential residents coming in, it might be too much of a good thing without, you know, just not having capacity to, to accommodate them for whatever, whether it's classroom space or whether it's residential space, those. Yeah. So. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if uh, I mean he's got a, a ways to go through legislation. I mean, even though you know he's got majority rule in, in both houses, um, that's that's still one that's going to be really tough to to get through. So we'll see yeah, what happens. Yeah, we'll see what happens. Um, but yeah, I think there's a there could be a lot of implications that um, you know at least on a on a short term. Um, from a housing perspective, could could put a lot of strains on everyone. So, so we'll right. be watching that. So let's talk about another policy. Let's talk about vaccines. You know, twelve months ago, we were just finding out about you know the, this virus and and you know what some of its uh, what some of the symptoms were and, and that type of thing. And and here we are, twelve months later, and we're rolling out you know multiple vaccines. Um, everybody's 
lining up to get their jab. And, um, you know, it's a, it's a big undertaking just to get that distributed. Um, right. and, and surveys are still showing that, you know, only 50 to 60% of, of at least Americans in the U.S., you know, are, are ready to, to take that. I'm just wondering what kind of conversations, you know, are happening among your colleagues and, and maybe even discussions that, you know, Akuho I is talking about um, as, you know, I, I don't see how we get past not making this a requirement for students, especially students who want to live on campus. Um, but, you know, I may be wrong about that. So I really just wanted to to pick your brain on that, see what's being discussed and, and how that may impact things this fall. Yeah. My experience is that um, public institutions may have their hands tied much more so than private institutions. Um, it, you know, using the fall as an example and on the testing, of course, we weren't at the vaccine levels at that point. It seemed like a lot of the private schools moved ahead pretty aggressively with a testing protocol and, um, and you know we're able to put some plans into place around that where i know um you know some some of the public institutions either chose not to or were not able to do that i think it might have been more of the latter um that seems to be changing some there was actually an article in the philadelphia inquirer this morning about um what penn state and university of pennsylvania and temple were doing now technically none of those are public institutions but um but you know just that they hadn't done a lot in terms of the, the testing protocols in the fall, but we're definitely ramping those up significantly for the for the spring. So, um, you know, then vaccines is clearly then the next you know logical explanation to have. Um, here in Pennsylvania, we do have a mandate that students that live on campus get a meningitis vaccination. Although there is an opt out to that, so it's not. I can't sit here and say that every single person that's lived on our campus has a has a meningitis vaccination, but the vast right. vast majority of them do. So, um, you know, and and that was a legislative act. You know, that wasn't something that the even the universities decided to do. So, um, you know, there very well could be some similar action along the lines of of um, the COVID vaccine, which would then give us the opportunity to do it. You know, if, if obviously if the state or the Commonwealth mandates it, then we're we're free to do that as opposed to us making that decision independently on our own. So, yeah, yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. Just uh, thinking about, you know, getting that into, into every student and the challenges it's going to create for um, uh, just the logistics part of it. And then there's the other part of, is every student going to feel comfortable with it? So be interesting to see well, how that rolls out. No, absolutely. And of course, then you can't also forget the, the faculty staff side of it, too, in either direction. You know, if if we can get all the students vaccinated, but for some reason we can't get all the faculty and staff vaccinated, then that could create one problem. And yeah. on the flip side, if every faculty and staff member wants to vaccinate, but we can't force all the students to vaccinate, then that creates its own set of issues as well. So, yeah, yeah. Well, I hope that the the efficacy of 95 percent um, that uh, you know both of the two that have been approved so far, um, hopefully that that falls out and or excuse me, not falls out, but hopefully that um, becomes you know we see that to be the case you know with this larger population and and folks will will not be afraid of it and and, and a lot of good comes out of it, um, but we'll be. We'll be monitoring that. And, uh, you know, I would just, I guess one question I would have for you um, as a follow-up for, for our off-campus 
folks that are trying to work with their university to support all of their missions. Right. Um, but especially from a public health standpoint, um, any suggestions on, you know, who they should, um, contact at the university? Is it someone at the infirmary? Is it, is it uh, someone in a different office where, you know, they can, um, uh, get a little bit better information about what their university plans to do? My my best recommendation on that would be to go on the university website and, and look at their COVID section of their website. You know, there's usually dashboards and, um, you know. Everybody's a got a dashboard of, now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, a whole host of FAQs for, for students, for families, for, you know, whatever. Um, but I think if, if they look through those, they'll there's bound to be information about where the major touch points are for information about the, um, you know, how the institution is um, responding to the whole COVID situation, I think that could probably give them some clue. And you're right, it, it could be the the health center, the infirmary. You know, generally, there's probably someone within senior administration that's taking the lead on um, the you know whatever the institution is doing, or I'm um, you know certainly reaching out to their um, on-campus res life and housing colleagues, and you know using that as an entree. I mean, not for an introduction necessarily, but at least just, you know, finding out who those, who the on-campus folks are dealing with. And then the off-campus folks can, can follow up with those, those same administrators. So. Great. Great. So you mentioned a little bit ago about the, the annual um, conference that, that Akua puts on. It is an international conference. You know, um, uh, it's typically in the U S but I've, I've seen it in in other countries as well. And um, this year it's, it's, tentatively planned to, if it, if it happens live, it's, or in person, it's going to be in Columbus. But, um, right. and, and I know, as you mentioned earlier, you guys are still, you know, this in kind of a wait and see mode, um, as to if that's going to be in person or, or if there's going to have to be a, a pivot again for that. But, um, I hope that we're able to have it because it's a, it's a fantastic, <laughs> And, you know, it's not, it's not just a, it's just not, it's not just a conference where you go to, to, you know, uh, network and go to an exhibit hall. I mean, there are some great educational classes and and opportunities with, within that entire week. Um, It even goes out beyond a week um, in most cases. And, uh, you know, just really kind of want to, you know, uh, hear from you what what's currently being discussed, what we know for sure, and you know what may end up happening in case there's folks out there that want to make sure that um, that they're able to attend. Yeah, I wouldn't say there's a whole lot I know for sure at this point. Well, the, the one <laughs> thing I know for sure is that something will happen, um, whether it be in person or whether it be virtual. Um, you know, last year we. Um, I mean, again, this all started really falling out, you know, mid-March and our event was in early July, if I remember correctly. So there was literally only a few months to you know, assess how, what direction everything was going in and then, you know, making the decision that, yeah, being in person just wasn't going to be feasible for any variety of reasons, not the least of which is Portland probably didn't want a thousand or fifteen hundred people coming from other places into into their city. So, um, but then you know, once that decision was made, then it was a really quick pivot to create something that could be done virtually. Um, not only just 
identifying the content, you know, some of which could have been just a carryover from the in-person event, but just setting up the technology platforms behind it to make it accessible to hundreds and hundreds of people that would want to attend or would typically have attended a, an in-person event. So, um, you know, the advantage we have this year is, is that if, you know, once we do decide if we can't have an in-person event that at least we know, um, you know, from our previous experiences, how we could put on a, a virtual event. So there, there will absolutely be something um, either way. Um, and again, as I mentioned earlier, we did, we have changed the process under which we're identifying what content is going to be offered during either event. So um, it'll be very timely and, and, you know, would, should meet the needs of, of any of the people that attend the event to get um, good, um, solid current information to, to you know, move forward with as they make decisions about what they're happening on their campus, what they're doing professionally, things like that. So. What what other takeaways could could attendee expect from from attending? I you know you mentioned networking. Um, you know I that's always been I think the the most important part of those of the conference. For me, um, you know, I think I've learned just as much, you know, having a hallway conversation with somebody or, you know, yeah. discussing business over a meal kind of thing as maybe sitting in an educational session. And, you know, I can't argue the fact that that's going to be a little more challenging if we have to yet do it again in a, in a virtual environment. But, um, I, you know, we will create as many opportunities as we can for folks to, to get to know each other or, or meet each other at least. And then, you know, hopefully they can then carry over those conversations to um, offline platforms or, you know, much more direct one-on-one -on -one kinds of things, or, you know, then, you know, maybe folks that didn't weren't aware of some of our webinars and, and things like that will become aware of those. And then, those are generally, you know, smaller groups of people and they can make some connections there um, as the year goes on. Great. So where can, uh, where can folks go to get more information? Um, obviously there, there's a website, but um, what, um, what's, what, what would you recommend would be the best place for someone to start both to find out more about Akuho as well as, um, as well as looking at possibly attending the, um, the conference. Yeah, no, I, without question, I mean, and this was true even before COVID, but, but definitely now, you know, the website really is the best place to go to, to, um, get connected in. Um, there's a, um, you know, there's some regular communications that come out, you know, those are generally geared towards members, but, um, you know, there's opportunities to, um, you know, check it and see what different events we're offering. You know, we, again, it's a little bit different situation now, but we do try to plan out as far as we can, you know, the different things that are happening during the year. You know, the annual conference and exposition is usually in June or July, uh, but then we have a series of events in the in October as well. Um, it's a series of three uh, conferences, one dealing with facility-related issues, one dealing with you know, the business side of things, um, again, housing assignments, marketing, IT, um, conferences, you know, those kinds of things. And then one related um, called academic academic initiatives. So it's around some of the um, educational kinds of programming and, and actually partnering with um, academic portions of a campus to, to create a living learning environment uh, within our on-campus housing. So those are a little more narrowly tailored for folks that, um, you know, can get a lot of information um, in those areas, you know, over the span of a couple of days. So, um, but then, yeah, there's certainly lots of virtual things that we're doing now. And even, you know, once we're able to 
meet face to face again. We're certainly at this point we can't just totally abandon the virtual side of things. It's I think everything that we do going forward is going to be some some combination, hybrid combination of in person and then things that can be accessed remotely as well. Yeah, yeah. So that website is akuhoa.org. Is that correct? Correct. Yep. Yeah, yeah akuho-i.org, right? Yeah, a c u h o hyphen i.org. And then yep. Yeah, I would also if, if for the, for the folks out there that that want to learn more and kind of, you know, look at the type of stuff that um that akuho has done, especially this past year and the resources that they provided go to their YouTube channel and subscribe. Um, I'm, you know, big YouTube guy <laughs> seem to <laughs> seem to spend more time there than I do on, on any uh, TV channel or anything like that. Um, and it's been, uh, yeah. Anytime you guys post a new round table or, or discussion, I, I get that alert and it's been, Great. it's been fantastic. So appreciate um you guys keeping keeping that up and not just keeping it all on the yeah. website because it's nice to get those those alerts and and be able to see it right there yeah and um i mean you mentioned mary back at the beginning and certainly you know as yes. the ceo she's been great for the association and really done a lot for us but um you know she has a staff of folks that work with her um mostly in Columbus, um, but some from other places too. But um, so if you go to the website and you have a question about something, you know, feel free to reach out. There the, you know, should be a generic email address there if you don't know who specifically to contact and um, lots of friendly folks that'd be more than happy to answer your questions and, um, you know, connect you with the right people, get you the right information that you need. So. Awesome. Well, Peter, I appreciate it so much. Uh, good luck with your presidency this year and um, and looking forward to all the things that you guys are, are going to be able to do. And um, and again, thanks for the support that Akuho has, has given SHI and, and just being a, a resource to, to me for the things that, that I'm trying to get insight on. So thank you for that. And we will talk to you soon. All right. Thanks for the opportunity to talk. I appreciate it. Guys, I hope you got a lot out of that interview with Peter. Uh, he, he was fantastic to talk to. Coming up next month, you're going to hear a, a panel interview that we had with with three university housing officers, kind of along the same, I, don't, I would almost consider it a part two of this conversation because he's really, Peter is really representing Akuhoa and what they're doing. And uh, these three folks that we're talking to are, going to be really talking about you know what's happening in the weeds what's what's their experience been this past fall and uh and this spring as well and you know what they're concerned about what they you know quite honestly need help with from from the off-campus partners that they work with uh and meeting the demands that are coming this fall so make sure that you stay tuned for that Also coming up in the next episode, we're going to be sitting down with Charlie Matthews from College House to discuss a little bit about their platform and how it's really revolutionizing everything that's going on with how we're monitoring the market these days. Some of you guys, I know all of you guys are doing market surveys, you know, within your own company. And that's probably the best way to to keep the pulse on everything. 
versus, you know, waiting for reports from Axiometrics and some of the other groups that are out there. Because by the time we get that information, it's 60, 90 days old. And with College House, it's actually updated every week. And, and I'm actually using it, you know, really as a market survey tool. So, so looking forward to, to talk about that. We've also got another episode coming up with Jamie Swick from Colliers International. Uh, super excited about you hearing from her because she started on site uh, in operations as a leasing agent and uh, eventually became a consultant. And now she's a broker for Colliers International. And we go into a lot of discussion about what property managers and operating companies are doing wrong when it comes to preparing the property for an eventual sale. Because let's let's face it. We are all going to be judged um, not by how, how well we did turn or how well we even did leasing. We're really going to be judged because doing turn well and doing pre-leasing well flows into this. Eventually, that ownership group wants to make an exit. They want to sell the property. And if you're not doing the right things to ensure that your property, when it is time to sell, that you're maximizing uh, what that property can can eventually get in a, in a purchase price. If you're not doing that, then, then you're really falling down on your job as a site manager or as a portfolio director. The, those are the things that you're ultimately going to be judged on believe it or not. So, so yeah, really looking forward to that. Again, make sure that you guys are, are plugging into Memo. And that's every Wednesday at 12 noon Eastern. Uh, the only time we're not doing it is the last week in March because it's a fifth Wednesday. And Memo only has four letters in it. So <laughs> once you get registered, you'll, you'll figure out what that means. But anyway, thanks so much, guys. And we'll talk to you soon.